755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. And welcome into an all-new 755 is real. Producer Cam here with you. David and Eric answering your live room questions in today's show. Excellent questions as always. If you didn't get a chance to join us this time, do not fret. We'll host more live rooms in the future. If you want to be notified when we do host the live rooms, make sure you're following David and Eric on Twitter, at DobrianATL and at EUF34. Also, make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you aren't already subscribed to The Athletic, get on that right now. Theathletic.com slash 755 is real. $1 a month for your first six months. Can't beat that, Neil. And you can't beat the excellent questions that were asked today, including Tim Hudson, Chris Medellin, and Eric O'Flaherty. Their friendship and their chemistry, how that played on the field and off of it. Also, we dig into a Braves-Mets postmortem, and a listener asks us, is Ozzie Albies better than Jeff McNeil? A Braves fan on Twitter versus a Mets fan on Twitter with David and Eric as the mediators. They share their thoughts on that. And also, what will Alex Anthopoulos do with all these free agents that are coming up? David and Eric provide their thoughts on Kenley Jansen, Charlie Morton, and of course, Dansby Swanson. And also, dipping back into the rumor meal with the Jacob deGrom rumors. Lastly, in honor of the draft, the guys are asked about the Braves' draft approach. They provide an answer to that. As always, everyone, thank you so much for supporting the show. Without you all, this wouldn't be possible. And without further ado, here's David and Eric. All right, let's go. Robert G. What's up, Robert? How's it going, guys? Good. How you doing? No, I was just going to ask, what do you think the odds are maybe we flip Kyle Muller at the deadline, maybe as like a sell-high type of thing? I know his stuff is good. It just He almost feels like a left-handed Chiki Tucson sometimes. Like the command just doesn't doesn't always get there. Do you think maybe we flip him for like a bullpen piece or two, maybe a back end, like a closer type on a bad team? I think he's definitely one of the pieces that you could uh, consider using in a trade is what I wrote uh, a week ago or so in my trade proposals that I had Jim Bowden uh, kind of uh, grade or, or uh, see what he thought of each one. I think, I think all four of them or all five of them might've had Kyle in it. So just because, you know, most of their uh, top pieces are either on the team or gone now and they don't have a whole lot of, uh, of a high profile close to the majors or major league ready guys that other teams will be interested in. So, He's one of the few that fits that bill. The other guys are more down, you know, lower minor league guys. Their top guys now are, are lower minor league guys that are still a year or two away from the minors or from the majors. Guys like uh, Von Grissom, you know, who I, who I'm sure they're not going to trade unless they, uh, unless they have Dansby signed to a long term extension. Yeah, I agree. I just it, it, to me, this team feels better than last year, and I feel like you just got to go for it again. So I, I feel like it's a good idea to just kind of move some of these guys and sell high. I don't, I don't know if Kyle Muller is really going to be in the future plans or not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how high you're selling on Kyle. He's uh, he's pitching well in Triple A right now, but uh, you know, the highest point it probably would have been last year when you first came up, and he had a couple of great starts against Cincinnati and somebody else. I forgot who, but uh, that probably would have been the sell high rather than after he got optioned and. You know, but he is. Yeah, I'm just well thinking right like the pitcher of the month thing. Maybe you get him while he's hot. Maybe you know one yeah. team just takes a chance on the. I mean, the potential is obviously there. It's just putting it together yeah. is the only thing we've had an issue with. And he's still not. He's still a young guy. There's still plenty young. I mean, I'm sure there's a team or two that 
has watched him pitch against their triple A team and said, Hey, six foot seven lefty throws hard, has got a nasty breaking ball. What what's not to like? Yeah, those don't grow on trees. All right, thanks, Robert. Yeah, they could use him for that to fill up to fill another need. Cole N. Hey, what's up guys? How y'all doing? Pretty good. What's going on? Doing good, man. Doing good. Um, I actually kind of want to go down a little bit of memory lane here. Um, I had a question for you, Eric. Um, what was it like being teammates with uh, with Tim Hudson and Chris Medlin, man? I remember that year. I think what, it was in 12. I think he went like 10 and 1 or something. Um, just wanted to know, man, what was it like being in the same room as them, you know? Oh, man, it was it was a fun group. You know, that that all those teams we had from 9, 10, 11, 12, that, that core group. Um, it's a shame we didn't we didn't do anything, you know, because it, it has that feel to it. When I get text messages or hear from those guys, it feels like we did something special. And the whole team, you know, getting a group text or something and talk about having a reunion. And it's kind of ha- hard to have a reunion when you got bounced in the first round of the playoffs and <laughs> you know, blew a 10 game lead in 2011, but, um, it would have been a good sell for me on all my chemistry stuff I talk about, but (laughs) that whole group of guys, all those guys made me better and, uh, and helped me a ton in my career. And and more than anything, it's just the most fun years, you know, I've ever had being around guys like Huddy and Medlin that always know how to joke and have fun. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the one thing I think about those years is it's a shame we didn't do something special. That's crazy. That was a crazy, good four years, man. Yeah, you know, uh, that's crazy. And I had another I had another question for you, David. I, I wanted to know what was kind of uh, I don't know if you can think back. I know you've done a lot, but what was one of your favorite pieces that you've written about a player or about, you know, specifically about a team? I used to used to call used to cover the Marlins and stuff like that. But, um, you know, what are some of your favorite pieces that you've written before, whether it's about these guys too, back in, you know, 11, 12 or 13, you know, those years or nine and 10. <laughs> Oh, that's a tough one. Um, the Evan Gattis story comes to mind immediately just because yeah. it hadn't really been told. And, and it's so rarely does a story like that come along that, that literally could be a movie. And he's and he's laying this stuff out for me. We're sitting in the dugout alone after workout at spring training. And he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm going, holy shit, man. This is like <laughs> a movie script. You know, and I knew it was going to be a great one. I mean, I knew that. I wouldn't going to have to do much to that. Just get out of the way of that story. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was, uh, that one stands out. I mean, there's, a, there's been some pretty cool, pretty, pretty good ones. Uh, obviously every time I talk to wash is a treat, <laughs> um, going back. I remember when Josh Beckett after the Marlins had drafted him back when newspapers would spend a lot of money for this kind of thing. I, I flew out to uh, Houston where he lived and stayed out there one night and hung out with him one day all day and rode around with him in his big ass truck. And he's flying around the freeways down there and going to the places where he worked out. That was pretty fun to see that and to get a, get a baseball that Josh Beckett used to practice writing his autograph on in high school. Now that's a kid. It's going to be special. <laughs> what <Yeah>. the heck? <laughs> I still got it. I still got the ball sitting at home. It's got a, uh, his autograph at various stages. Like, Josh, the J O, and then the J O S, the whole thing. Yeah, he practiced writing his autograph. Dang, that is that's wild. Do you do you collect uh you know like baseball cards and stuff or no? No, I had all these cards when I was a kid. My mom yeah. probably threw them away at some point when I was in college or something. Like most people, like most people's parents did. Yeah, uh, you know, I got a ton of bobbleheads and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> do you get a Matsy one? 
I got a, I got a Craig Council. Uh, I got Craig Council's undershirt from when he, uh, when he, when he uh, scored the winning run in the World Series for the Marlins, only because my ex-wife used to work for the Marlins, and he just kind of left it behind in the locker room. <laughs> Craig doesn't even know this. And, uh, and she kind of picked it up one day and brought it home and said, "Will this fit you?" And I said, "Yeah, I think so." It's back when they wore like just cotton mock turtlenecks. You know, oh, it's, like, it's like hard at this point. It's not like the tech fabrics. Yeah. <laughs> it's just old cotton. But yeah, it was. Uh, it's got its number on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Thanks, Cole. Uh, yeah, no, thank you guys. Appreciate y'all. Christopher D. Happy Thursday, guys. Uh, it's. It's been interesting watching Met fan reaction to gaining a gain in, game in the standings. And a bunch, uh, what's interesting is you've got guys claiming, oh, well, you know, everything's great. And, you know, we were missing Marte and McNeil. And I'm like, we were missing Ozzy. And someone went ahead and told me that McNeil is so much more better than Ozzy based on a couple of sabermetric numbers. And I'm like, call me old school, but when I watch the two, Ozzy's just more electric. And it, am I wrong in this? Well, this year, Ozzy was not having a great year. McNeil yeah. made the all-star. McNeil made the all-star team. So he's not, it's not even close this year as far as the years they were having. So, I mean, they, hey, look. They were without two of their all-stars. They had four all-stars. Two of them did not play in this thing because of uh, Marte and, and, like you said, McNeil because of uh, paternity leave and, uh, what, a groin, strength groin or hammy. One of those two. But uh, So they were shorthanded, no doubt. But, like I said, I mean, the Braves haven't got full full, uh, – Acuna is still obviously trying to get his way back. He, he's not himself during that series. They, they were without Ozzy. Um, you know, they're still without a couple of other guys and, and, uh, and they were without their closer, Kenley, until the, uh, you know, pitched one in in the last game. But, you know, both teams were without guys. I mean, they're going to get DeGrom back. And if he's healthy, that's huge. So, yeah, especially uh, when their starting pitching was already pretty good in that series. I know, man. I th- that's to me, I mean, I'm not, not, not concerning or alarming or anything, but I thought, when I looked at the pitching matchups, I thought, okay, the Max versus Max in game one is going to be a bear. Could go either yeah. way. But the Braves, I thought, had real advantages in the games two and three because the way, you know, that uh, Strider has pitched and the way Charlie had pitched in his last four or five starts. Yeah. But neither one of them had it. You know, I mean, Strider was pretty good. He only gave up a run or two. He was good, but uh, not, not as good, not as electric as he has been. And then Charlie just had a bad start. I mean, that yep. just wasn't Charlie. You know, he had had four or five real good ones in a row, but he had a bad one. And Max had his worst start since his first loss since game two, his, his second start of the year. So it just didn't go well. The starting rotation has been terrific throughout this whole run since June 1st. But those three games, they were not good. You know, Strider was okay. But the, the rest of it really wasn't very good, the starting pitching. And uh, they got behind early in a couple of games. So it was tough. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think I was looking more at, like, I guess, the full bot. Like, yeah, Ozzy's had a rough year, but I was looking more, I guess, historically with Ozzy. At some point, he's probably going to turn it around. I'm like, mm. but yes, you, you know, McNeil is an all-star this year. It feels like the Mets really got up for this one to try to prove, hey, we're the big dogs. We're not going to, you know, mess yeah. it up. 
like yeah. they usually do. Um, so well, both teams were up for that series. You know, I, I don't think yeah. it's, I don't think you can really say one team came into it knowing what mattered more than the other, but like yeah. you said, I mean that the mess just came and, and their pitcher, this, for me, the series just came down to starting pitching. Exactly, man. It's like yeah. every good, I don't, how many, how many times I've had a manager tell me, you know what momentum is? It's the next day starting pitcher. And that's yep. all momentum is. And if the pit next day starting pitcher shits the bed or just doesn't have a good one and their starting pitcher does have a great one and comes out shoving, then there's not much you can do. I mean, yeah, the Braves still hit six home. Yeah, they still hit their six home runs. You know, the Braves still hit their six home runs in the series, but their starting pitching held them down otherwise, and uh, they, they didn't get any big hits other than the home runs. So, tipper cap, the Mets played better, and Buck came out and was right. Yesterday he said, I don't know if they were up, but I know our guys came out today ready to play, and yesterday, uh, and I don't think it was the Braves weren't ready to play. I think it was just – Really hot day and came and Charlie came out and was throwing and was walking guys early and and gave up those two bombs early, so you're in a four zero deficit right off the bat. So it's kind of hard to look good when you're in a four zero deficit right away. So you know it could be totally different if the two if the teams played again tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah, they definitely. I mean, the the Mets showed me something just knowing that they got Degrom coming back, but. Peterson and Bassett both threw the ball pretty damn well too. They really did. That's one of the big differences in the past. You know, when you're chasing a team down and they're three, four, two, three, four, five, are beatable. Versus these guys came out and threw the ball really well. Peterson's got a good slider. Bassett's got a good mix. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be a dogfight, and I don't think anybody thought it wasn't. Um, It's the Mets have had a different feel about their team from the beginning this year. Um, but we've talked about that since spring training. Yep. And I think, you know, just the the whole point of the conversation, I don't think one team is necessarily way better than the other. I I don't think there's a way you can pick and say in this, this, this position, we, we, we got somebody better or whatnot. But when you look at both teams as a whole, they're, they're pretty evenly matched. Yeah. Bray's got a better lineup. They got a lot more power. The Mets got a lot more pesky hitters like, like, uh, yep. Like Charlie was talking about yesterday, the lineups are different. The Mets got yeah. those kind of lineups that Charlie said he hates pitching against. Cause Everybody hates those lineups. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, you've talked about that a lot, Eric. Charlie yeah. said, you know, it's like that. You know, Nemo, he can get behind O two and still have a ten pitch at bat. I mean, you know, they just have pesky hitters, man. They got yeah. a lot of professional hitters. Yeah, and that's that's something that. You know, you don't see that mix as much in today's game. It's it's more about the three run homer. But for guys, especially a, a guy with a sinker like Charlie, you don't yeah. get those those free easy outs early in counts where you throw a sinker <laughs> away and the dude comes up and gets big and just grounds out to shortstop. And now you got one out on two pitches. It's every single at bat. It felt like they really battled and put tough ones together. They got some power in the middle. Uh, it's a different lineup, but it's not necessarily a weaker one for me. Yeah, and, even, and Charlie said even Pete Alonso, who's a you know fifty home run hitter, yep. he's not he's not a just swing for the fences guy. I mean, he can give you a tough at bat. He's got good hands and and good bat to ball skills for a for a power hitter. Yeah, I saw him on he he was doing one of those mic'd up innings on ESPN, and he was already talking about what he was looking for in his next at bat, what the pitcher's strengths were, how we thought they were going to pitch him, and he actually went up and the bat played out exactly how he said. Um, he didn't get a hit because he missed his pitch, but he got his pitch that he was looking for. Uh, uh-huh. keeping that from a, a fifty, a possible fifty homer guy. Um, yeah, that's scary because you want them just dumb and hacking. 
and running right. into stuff, then they're pitchable. But a guy that's thinking like that, um, they got a tough lineup. Right. But and you saw why the Braves lineup is so tough in that middle game where where it yep. was a one oh game, they're down one oh, and then all of a sudden, boom, boom, they're up four one with two two run homers. And that in can happen hurry. at any point, you know? Yeah. So but that is what they are. Like uh like Snit said, that's what I mean, that's what we do. We hit home runs. Yeah. You know, you like for them to get to be a little scrappier at times and manufacture and move a guy over and all that, but they don't do that. They don't bunt guys over, they don't sacrifice. I mean, they've got some hitters that can hit with runners in scoring position, but their main thing is they hit home runs. Yeah, and you know, there's not a right, right or wrong way to do it. It's what works for each lineup and how each team's built. But um, overall, I mean, I thought it was a good series. It was it was fun to watch, and then you could tell it's going to be a competitive throughout the year. Yeah, and if Max would have had the same start that he's had for you know the last uh, three months, almost three months, then they could have won the series. I mean, you know, he could have yep. gone toe-to-toe with Scherzer, but Max just did not have the same start that he's at. Yep. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Victor B. Oh, yes. Craig, thank you guys very much for taking my question. Uh, it's about uh, – it seems to me that this offseason, uh, Alex has a lot of decisions to make, and I'm just curious what your thoughts you think will happen. I mean, you're looking at – about $50 million coming off the books with Will Smith and Kenley Jansen and Charlie Morton. And I don't know, maybe they want to bring some of those guys back. I don't know if they want to bring them back at that price. But then, of course, on the other side, you've got Swanson, who's I mean, the way he's playing. He's probably, what, a $20 million a year player now. And if you're uh, at least at least 20 million. Yeah. Maybe even more a six year, $130 million contract. And then you got freed. Who's got two years left. And I'm sure they probably want to start to look up at looking at locking that in even Riley with three years left uh, of team control. So I'm just curious what you guys think. And then of course the sort of little rumor elephant in the room. The last thing I wanted to ask about was, is this just kind of people talking or is DeGrom actually a possibility? Oh man. Could we, we even talk about we talked about Degrom last week. We talked about that. That's uh, that's just Degrom saying he'd like to be here. I mean, we talked about that. It, other than okay, Degrom I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, other than Degrom saying that he'd like to be in Atlanta, I mean, is that news? I mean, we sure. There's a lot of guys that would like to be in Atlanta. It's a destination spot, as Buster told me the other day. But yeah, he wouldn't like guys, to be in Atlanta for sixty million less. Exactly. But does DeGrom want to be in Atlanta for, you know, $25 million? No, DeGrom wants to be in Atlanta for $35 million. He's not going to opt out of, what is his deal? His, his last year of his contract with the Mets, $32 million or something? Yeah. He's not going to opt out of $32 million to take $25 million. And the Braves yeah. are not going to pay him $35 million. Yeah, I didn't think so. I it's thought it was crazy. His, with his but injury the other history, uh, if I was him, I wouldn't even be thinking about opting out with how much he's been on the injured list the last few years. Yeah, I mean, there's his red flags. I mean, he's going to have to have – now, if he has a great second half, makes every start, goes out, pitches six innings and seven innings and get a, a, a start, sure, there's going to be a team that will take the, the, the gamble on that. But if he goes out and has more nagging stuff, makes one start, the second start he's got this or that, you know, and it's, his elbow's sore, then I think he's going to have to rethink that opt-out thing because there's not going to be another contract better than that. Um, but the Braves, I mean – Sure, they've done some things differently that maybe you said they didn't do before, like spending money on reliever when they gave Will Smith three years, $40 million. 
And then they went out and got Kenley Jansen. Those things they did not do before. They didn't spend money on, on bullpen. So you could say that they're, they're, not, they're not the Braves of old. But Terry McGurk himself has told me the efficient way to build teams is not through free agency, especially with starting pitching. So unless they completely change course in what they've been following, because they do not believe that it's an efficient way to go about it is to give the top to go pursue the top free agent pitchers. And I can't really argue more than when you, unless you're one of those top five tier or top five payroll teams. Cause if you're a payroll team, like if you're a team with like a one sixty to one eighty million million payroll, it's hard to go out and pay a starting pitcher $35 million. And to play again, once every give, five days. Right. And if you give DeGrom $35 million, then what do you have to give Max free to resign him? Yeah. How are you going to tell Max Free? We'd like you to take twenty million, but we're going to pay Degrom thirty-five million. Well, I mean, I think you can understand that in a sense if you're looking at Degrom, but I mean, Degrom's got two years, sixty-four million left on his contract. If he opts out, he's opting out of two years of sixty-four. So I could think, you know, the only other logic I could think if he's just trying to stretch that to four years at right. thirty a pop or something like that, but. I mean, if, if you sign him for more than two years, you're paying him 30-something million for his age 37 and age 38 season with an injury history. I just I have not – there's nothing with – I haven't heard anything from anybody with the Braves or anything that the Braves have done in recent years that w- would tell me that they're going to go out and go with DeGrom and do that contract when they just wouldn't sign Freddie because of a sixth year, you know? Right. I mean, they are they – are, they they've spent they're spending more money now, but they're spending it smart. They're still not throwing out money at the top of the scale for anybody. And if it is, it's a one year deal like Josh Donaldson. It's to come in and prove it and play for your big contract because they know guys will do that. So if uh, if if they got Degrom, it would be on a one year deal. To me, yeah, one year. <laughs> I mean, it have to be one year forty or something crazy like that. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, the other ones, the more realistic stuff that you asked about. Um, there's a lot of stuff every year. I mean, we say this every year. There's so much money coming off the books. If you go back and look at recent years, every year we've said there's this much money coming off the books and they've got to do this guy and this guy and this guy. So it's really no different. I mean, Alex has had to have big decisions in every season since he's been here. And it's really early to fit, to, to try to predict what he's going to do when they got a whole half season left to go. But uh, I think the two, uh, the priority obviously is Dansby. You got to make a decision on him. Um, if there's any chance of re-signing him before he hits free agency, is to do it now. Uh, and I don't know if Dansby would be interested or not. He's got the same agent that Freddie Freeman does, and 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 he's 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 played. He's the only one that's taken the risk this year by playing, you know, in the last year of a contract, and and it's paid off for him because he's having a career year. Um, Austin Riley, I would get signed. I would buy out the first three years of his free agency and get him signed now and save a lot of money. Because that price tag is only going to go up, and he, and he is what he is. I think we've seen enough now of Austin Riley to know that he's not going to revert back to being what he was before he got good. I mean, he's this is a a year and a half now of him being an an elite slugger. Yeah, so and even the, even if he lines a little bit, you're still getting great defense, and he's going to hit 25, 30 homers. Yeah, and he hits for a high average too. You know, I mean, he's, yeah. he's opposite field power. I mean, he's just. He's figured it out. This is this guy's a really good hitter, so I'd get him signed. Uh, you got Vaughn Grissom coming at shortstop, but he's still, you know, probably a year or two years away, probably two realistically, unless you wanted to rush him. 
Um, so if you don't sign Dansby, you're going to have to sign a bridge at least the one year and hope Grissom comes fast. Um, but you better be prepared to go out and, and, and pay a shortstop $25, $30 million, at least on a one-year deal, if you do not re-sign Dansby, if you're gonna, unless you're going to take a step back and not have a great shortstop next year. But, uh, you know, that's such a heart and soul part of the team, Dansby, what he brings every day. At yeah, I have a heart and go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Jansen. Uh, I guess it depends on what he does the rest of the way. Does he have more problems with the heart? I mean, that could change things. Um, so far, it's just been the one incident, and that's you know he's had twice in the past. But if you were to have another one in the second half, that's got to make you rethink that if you are inclined to bring him back. He's been a great piece. He's done exactly what they needed. Um, and it's going to be hard to get a closer for any less than what he's making. I mean, so, I mean, he fits great in that bullpen, so that you, I think you have to consider it. I think uh, Will Smith, they'll see, they'll let him go. Uh, the, only say I wait, the only way I could see them bringing him back would be for a lot less money. Um, so that, that, that money should be off the books. Yeah, and he's uh, going to poke around the market and see what's out there. If it came down to it, I'm sure he'd love to be back in Atlanta. But, you know, one year five, one year eight, something like that. You're not going to give him closer money. Right. I mean, maybe some, so maybe some smaller team would get him as their closer, you know. Yeah, uh, pay him less. Maybe if he wants to close and get some saves and take that to uh, back to free agency or something. Yep. So a lot of decisions, but Alex always has a lot of decisions. I know one thing. He's not really thinking about him right now. He's thinking about the draft, but he's thinking more about the trade deadline coming up. You know, so all the other stuff that we probably wish maybe some of that. I know fans wish he'd take care of some of it. They're probably on the back burner, unfortunately with Dan's because I think they should have got that taken care of last year when it, when it was still affordable. I, I just don't see, you know, if I'm Dansby, why, why he would sign an extension right now. In, in yeah. I mean, unless it was fair, unless it was you, fair, you know? Yeah. It'd have to be pretty good, but you know, rarely do you get a chance to be having your best season on your yeah. way into free agency. Yeah, exactly. At that age, 28, prime yeah. of your career. Coming off a World Series, you know, <laughs> it, he's in, he's in, you can't be in a better spot than he's in to hit free agency right now. And I know he's aware of the fact that the Dodgers have a free agent at shortstop, Trey Turner, who's going to make more than Dansby. And if Trey Turner gets, you know, between 25 and 30 million a year, then Dansby could probably use that to get 25 million a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a damn good player. You think the Dodgers would like to have Dansby Swanson at shortstop? I do. And I know Freddie would. And I know Freddie would give him the highest approval if they ask, and they will. Yeah. So it might it might be a little too late to get him, and then you know you got to battle for him on the market if you really want him. Yeah, if I'm the Braves, I go at him right now and and make him an offer as though he carries this forward to second half. Assume that he's going to do this the rest of the year, and I make him an offer accordingly. I try to get yep. him done. But it's not my money, but I also would have got Freddie Freeman signed a lot sooner too. So, Yep. Marcus. And I would do, and I would do Austin Riley now. What's up, Marcus? How are you doing, guys? Um, my question was towards the rotation and – after the All-Star break, is it possible that Snit might rearrange the starters so that it's not Max, Spencer, and then I believe it's Morton, Wright, Ian? Would it be something more like, could he flip it around to where it's like Max and then Kyle? 
just to kind of have like more of your consistent guys back to back. Well, why does it matter? I mean, if it's not opening day, there's rarely does, does Max face Max Scherzer like he did the other day. Usually it's Max facing a lesser guy on the other team. I mean, number ones don't line up for the rest of the year. You know, teams have off days. Teams have guys that go down for a day or two. Teams have doubleheaders. I mean, so rarely does the number one face the number one. Yeah, I, I mean, not, not so much because of the matchup, just because of, like, who's been, like, I don't expect, I know Spencer's been amazing, but I know he's not going to give, you know, six innings every time out, and of course he's a rookie, he's not going to win every start, so I don't know if you just wanted to try to, like, make sure you've got, like, your top two guys actually going back-to-back, I don't know if that that really does matter, like you're saying, but I'm not looking more towards, like, the matchups with the other team, but just like what's going to work out best throughout the rest of the season and going into the postseason, like having, you know, some type of consistent rest days for like, again, Max and Kyle to kind of have them back to back. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, Max is the one that's going to give you the most innings. Kyle's probably right there next him and Charlie, both Spencer's not going to, because they're going to monitor his innings. So you could look at it as, you would rather have Strider follow a guy that's going to rest the bullpen, that they're not going to have to use the bullpen a lot, if that makes sense. You're not going to, in other words, you wouldn't want to have Ian Anderson and Strider back to back going five to six innings each. Right. So then, oh, yeah. So then if, if Soroka comes back and kind of takes his spot, Spencer's, if he's on a pitch count, does it, I guess, does it make more sense to keep him behind Max so that Soroka slots in at, that number two also well, and, I'm not, it, on an innings limit. I don't have nearly the confidence that a lot of fans do in Soroka. I love Soroka, and I hope he comes back. I'm pulling for him hard. But I am not of the mind that uh, fans are that he's going to slip into any spot, much less the number two spot. I think anything they get from Soroka will be a bonus. But I know the Braves are not counting on him. You know, I know they want him to be back, and they're going to try. But they're not counting on him because they know he's missed two years. Two years, and he's just not going to slip back in there and start pitching like all-star Mark Soroka again after missing two years and coming back from an injury that really no pitcher ever has. So I think they'd like to have Soroka for 2023 and have him do something this year just to kind of show, give himself confidence and give the team confidence that he's worth you know, keeping, that kind of thing. But I just can't. I think if they were real confident in Soroka, he would have already started that 30-day rehab assignment, and he still hasn't started it. And it's going to be 30 days from whenever he does start it. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. Last point, just so you kind of expect the rotation to stay the same second half after the Oscar break? Uh, the order, I don't know. They could shift. The, I mean, Snick could do whatever he wants at the order. That's a uh, to the order. That's a good time to do it during the All Star break, obviously. So if he does want to make a small tweak here or there, I just don't think it's that important to have him uh, in any particular order. But yeah, I mean, if he wants to get him, if he wants to look ahead and have you know the best two guys back to back lined up, you know, for a particular series coming out of the break, yeah, you know, he can look ahead. I could see him doing that. Yeah, you know, if he if he wants to look ahead and say that. Uh, the next Mets series and he can space it out and go, if these guys stay healthy, then I'll have Max and, and Kyle, you know, back to back for that. And, and, uh, so yeah, they could do that at the, at the break. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a small tweak at the break just to get them in, in any particular order, but I don't know what that particular order would be. 
Like I said, Charlie was pitching great before that start yesterday. Yeah. I think more than anything, you just coming out of the break, you decide who your guys are and who you want getting the most innings. And if there's anybody you kind of want to rest. Um, I think the tough thing about Strider is as far as you're talking about saving the bullpen and whatnot, he strikes out so many guys. Yeah, his his pitch counts, you know, he's going to have a hard time giving you eight innings where if Charlie locks in, there's a good chance you get seven or eight out of him on a good day. When Strider's yeah. locked in, you're almost getting less innings because he's going to punch out 12. Right. And they're not going to push Strider, too. They're going to be careful not to let him go 110 innings, 110 pitches or, you know, seven innings unless he's being really efficient. But they're they're pretty much going to be locked in with five or six innings with him and keeping him yep. under 100 pitches because they want to be careful with him, especially as he gets deeper into the season and goes over his previous high for innings, you know. Yep. They want to make sure they have him for the I mean, for the uh, for the postseason. Assuming they get there, they want to damn sure make that sure that they have Strider available. Yep. Because that's a weapon, especially in the postseason, man. Yeah, and even if you know you shift him into that Josh Hader role or Andrew Miller type of role, right. you're bringing him in after your starter to throw two shutdown, uh, and then you can have him two days later after that. It's he's he's pretty versatile in how you could use him. But you definitely don't want him racking up a career high in innings, you know, 50 over what he's thrown in the past. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. Long he's ever pitched. And you're only going to need, what, three starters for the first round of the playoffs and yep. fourth after that. So you got to hope Ian gets going. And if he does, then you got an option there. Uh, or if Soroka, like I said, if Soroka, you know, comes back and pitches great in September, then all of a sudden, okay, well, he is an option. But I, I'm just trying to say they're not counting on it. So people should not assume that they're counting on Soroka coming back at, because they just know better. You know, I mean, they hope like hell that he does and everybody's pulling for him, but you just can't assume it, man. When a guy's been out two years. No, with him, you just, it's a problem you'd love to have and love to figure out, but you can't plan things around it. um, Just because not even just the health thing, but just performance. Yeah. I mean, you go pitch in Rome and, Gwinnett all you want and it's a little harder at the MLB level and for me if he's locked in and feeling good the guy's so smart and he knows how to pitch that his performance should be pretty good but there might be after two years there's going to be some rust to shake off yeah no doubt man Sean M and by the way uh, I don't know if you guys missed it but I tweeted today uh, Kirby Yates is going to start his rebound assignment on Saturday that's pretty big news for the Braves that means uh, it gives Alex Anthopoulos time to watch him for a couple of weeks before the trade deadline. And he should be able to get a good feel for it. I think watching him right Eric, watching him for a couple of weeks, pitching against uh, in rehab games, whether this guy's going to be a, uh, a bullpen piece for the stretch drive. Cause they certainly think he could be. Yeah. I mean, there's just two things you'd be looking for is, 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 is he going to be, you know, where he's at in his rehab? Is he going to be able to go back to back or two out of three? So you're checking on that. And then obviously his performance, They've seen him throw enough in his bullpens and get ready that they know where his stuff's at, where his arm strength's at. Uh-huh. Uh, you go out and you deal. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see him only need a couple of weeks if he's ready to, yeah, pitch pretty close together. Uh, you could have him active, you know, in in that thirty day window. But um, yeah, not like a starter. He doesn't need to build up for thirty days like Soroka will. No, the only thing you're really trying to build a reliever up to is that ability to go back to back. So if you see him go back to back in AAA or wherever he's at. He's going to be activated pretty much the next after that back to back. You'd expect to see him on the roster. 
Yeah. Uh, let's go, Sean M. What's up, Sean? Hey, guys. Hey, while you're on Soroka, I read, you know, I guess it's been a little over a week now since he took like a comebacker off the knee or something. But is there any details about what's been going on since then? Has he been totally shut down for the last no. week? No, he threw another live uh, a couple of days ago, same day Yates did. So he's throwing again. It was cool. just a bruise. It wasn't anything serious. They just wanted to make sure that he didn't alter his mechanics at yeah. all. You know, they're just yeah. being extra careful. That's the fear. You know, if you don't want him favoring anything. You you want him feeling 100%. Makes sense. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Sean. Victor M. Hey, uh, I was wondering what um, the Braves draft approach typically is or if they're going to do anything different this year, um, you know, with the extra pick and the extra slot money, how they kind of change um, their approach. They don't talk about their draft approach like most teams. They don't go into it saying we're looking for a pitcher. We're looking for a high school guy. We're looking. I mean, you know, people that cover the draft hear things, you know, hear that the Braves are looking at college pitchers. And then next thing you know, they do the exact opposite. So I don't even bother asking it because they're not going to tell you. I don't think straightforward what the uh, what the what the and, and I and I can't blame them. I mean. If they say they're looking for a college pitcher or whatever, then then they get to the the twentieth uh, pick, and if you're picking nineteen, then that could affect what you do. I mean, if you want to keep the brace from getting this guy or that guy, so I don't know. I just I, I just think that I just think they have so many guys on a board, and you never know when a guy like it's happened so many times when a guy like a Riley falls to you with a pick that you weren't thinking he's going to be there. So all of a sudden, whatever thought, whatever you were thinking you were going to do, you're like, Oh, screw that. We're taking this guy, man. We didn't think he'd be available. Yeah. The the one thing they do have this year is that extra two mil they got in that trade, which, yeah, I mean, you could spread it around through a few guys or there could be one guy that was, you know, everybody thought he was going to be a top 10 pick or whatever it is. And he seems unsignable or he's asking more than, you know, 90% of teams think he's worth, but you had a scout see something that said he's worth it. Yeah. You know, cause that's the reason a lot of guys fall is their, their bonus demands are too high. So right. To a situation where they use that money they got in the trade and say, we're going to take a gamble on this guy that everybody else is passing on. Cause he's overvaluing himself and we value him here and they followed him at that pick. And you, you know, you have that extra money to spend now and it doesn't affect the rest of their draft. Yeah, there's a lot of, especially those guys that have the college option of going to like a Vanderbilt or whatever, or, you know, or go to a Juco for a year. If you can go to a Juco for a year and go back to the draft. So the really good guys, there's some of them that go, you know what, I'm worth more than that slot. If you're, if Boris is representing you, for instance, you might say, I'm worth more than that slot that, that you have that, you know, at number four or five or whatever. And he might be asking for a lot more. Well, the Braves could work out a deal beforehand with him now because they got an extra two million. They might give him a million more than uh, what the slot value would have been at number, you know, five or whatever. And he'll fall down and they'll take or you know, number 15 and they'll fall down. They're taking him at number 20 and give him a lot more than the slot for number 20 is. Yeah. And guys even do that. You know, you even have guys that say, I'm not signing unless I'm drafted in the top three rounds or unless I'm getting a million. And yeah. You know, maybe teams think they're worth seven fifty, and guess what? You got an extra two fifty to play with, so you take those type of guys. But yeah, the, the Braves are pretty quiet with their, uh, like most teams, with their draft strategy. They got ten. They got like 
they got a lot of picks now in the Up high. In, in the first hundred. Yeah, yeah, they got a bunch of picks, including now two on that first day, in that first round, twenty and thirty-five. So they could they could get a couple of good players right there, man. I mean, you just yeah. think about the guys that have have been picked after thirty-five. There are a lot of them, starting with guys you know like Spencer Strider and Michael Harris the <laughs> second. Yep. Third and fourth rounders. Yep, lots of them play out. Having that volume helps. Thanks, Victor. Tim M., last question. Hey, guys. Uh, kind of a random question, but for guys like Cano, for instance, who are like not expecting to stay with the team for too long, potentially, what do they do for housing? Are they just staying in hotels, home and away, or... Does, yeah. does Graves have some sort of housing thing? No. You, no. you stay at, you know, you get put up at a nice hotel. Um, but you just, the team puts you up at a five-star hotel and you just carry your bags around with you, take them on the road with you, or leave them at the stadium. You know, you, you have a different kind of wardrobe needed for home and away because you have to wear nicer clothes on the road. But you just get put up in a hotel and, you know, it's just more motivation to do well so you can get an apartment or something and be stable. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, they got several hotels right by the ho- right by the ballpark now, where they guess you know. Oh yeah, they, they probably stay at that Omni, I guess. But it used to be the Ritz Carlton down there in Buckhead. And that's going to do it for us here on Seven Fifty Five is Real. Stellar question. Thank you all so much for joining us in the live room. And again, if you didn't get a chance to join us today, there will be plenty of chance to do so in the future. In order to be notified when we do organize the live rooms, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify and YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, make sure you are following David and Eric on Twitter, at DLBrianATL, and at EOF34. And in the words of David, 755 is real. We're out. We're out.